Hello, everyone. Good to see everyone. Uh, today we have an important conversation about mental health and law. Um, I've had a number of these conversations uh, for, for the last year or so. They're very important, especially today. They're always important. Uh, it really, um, it really makes me happy to see that we have normalizing, we're normalizing these conversations and have many of them increasingly. Um, and uh, it is my pleasure to continue this conversation with a very special guest today. Um, and today I'm with Emma, Emma Sharma. Uh, please introduce yourself so folks know a little bit more about you and we can have a conversation. Sure. So um, I'm Emma Sharma. I have been an attorney now for close to 25 years, um, both in private practice and then in-house. And I've been fortunate enough to work um, all over the world in, in that capacity. Uh, about five years ago, I was involved in founding a company called Valiant Integrated Services. We're a defense contractor based um, just outside Washington, D.C. And I am the chief administrative officer and general counsel Council for Valiant and uh, delighted to, to delighted to be here today to talk about this topic. Emma, you mentioned that you founded a company. That is not a small thing for uh, for anyone. Definitely not uh, for a lawyer. Um, uh, tell us more about kind of um, how you came to this opportunity and and how it changed in the last five years. First thing I should absolutely say is I didn't found it alone. It was a team effort. We um, there were there were a number of us on the management team, and also obviously we work with investors to stand up Valiant. And it was an opportunity that arose out of a really difficult set of circumstances. A prior government contractor who had um, been in some trouble for some time, and we had hoped that uh, that company would be able to trade or continue to trade. As, as it was um, once those troubles were resolved, but unfortunately that was not the case. And so a number of us got together and said, hey, we should think about doing a management buyout, raising some equity to do that. Um, it's a very long story, definitely not going to fit into the 20 minutes here, but um, over the next uh, nearly 18 months, we worked with a private equity firm and partner in New York and, and some great investors, and we were able to launch Valiant together. Um, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun, very successful, very intense, um, but a, a great privilege to be able to do that. That is amazing. Being on the founding team uh, is, is, is a very rewarding opportunity. I've had a pleasure to, to you know, to experience it myself a few times. Um, so really cool. How, I guess, we, we definitely will get to mental health, um, <laughs> but I do want to kind of ask a few more questions so folks have context. You know, your job must have changed many times as your company has grown. What change have you experienced? And, and then what are the important skills that help you thrive and succeed um, in that change? It's a really good question. I think when you're part of a founding team, uh, whatever the title is on your business card, uh, I think you'll know this yourself, Olga, you end up just doing anything that needs to get done. So the first early days of Valiant, um, I was chief administrative officer, but really responsible for everything that needed to get done that wasn't financial. Um, so setting up payroll systems, finding out about 401k, um, contract management, 
uh, literally anything, including answering questions on, on legal and compliance issues and getting us properly established in, in all the countries in which we were operating on day one and making sure that we were um, properly stood up and able to do that. So over the course of the, the sort of last five years, I've been able to um, pivot more into the role that's on my business card. So um, responsible for a large number of back office functions, um, contracts, legal compliance. I was responsible for people resources for quite a considerable time um, and insurance and all those good things. And then recently, um, it's been really fun, actually. I've been able to pivot more into the marketing and communication side and the business development, particularly looking back to the UK, which is where I started my life and started my professional journey journey. Um, so now I'm getting to do all sorts of fun things like helping to design exhibits for conferences and write and, and help with our associate magazines. So um, it's fun. It's it, it never stops being really crazy busy, but it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, lawyers and marketing, that's definitely an intersection of fun. I, I've yeah. been there a few times. Um, I, uh, I am definitely an amateur at it, but it doesn't stop me from having fun. Um, and, and, and that's, I guess, what matters. You know, there's one question I wanted to, well, two more. One is that I do think you have the chief administrative officer in your title. Mm -hmm. um, and we see a few legal executives have that um, in, in their title as well. I'm just curious kind of what does it mean to you um, and uh, kind of how is it different from the, say, CLO, general counsel? Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of folks have this question. I've been asked this question many times, so I'm just curious. And, I, and I've heard different answers. So I'm curious kind of in your context, um, what does it mean and what does it add? Sure. So um, I, the way the way it works at Valiant is there are actually two very distinct roles, and I just happen to dual hat. So the general counsel role is your classic general counsel, ultimately responsible for legal issues and company secretarial issues, a lot of compliance, ethics, security, anything that falls generally within within that. Um, compliance related and legal sphere. And then the chief administrative officer, I think for us at Valiant is more of a catch-all phrase, a catch-all title that um, covers the fact that outside of those broad legal and compliance responsibilities, I'm doing a lot of other things. Um, I'm, I'm not responsible for finance or procurement, although I, I have had some procurement um, responsibilities in the past. But I pick up um, just what we would call general administrative matters. So the insurance, the contracts and subcontracts portfolio, it kind of covered um, when human resources fell under my remit, even though I wasn't the chief people officer, I, I was kind of responsible for everything that went on there. So um, and I appreciate, you know, in more established organizations, it's probably a more formal role. Um, but for us, it's just it's just a way of recognizing the breadth of, of what I do. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, um, and I, I know a lot of people ask this question all yeah. the time. Yeah. Titles are becoming confusing and and mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they designate and sometimes they don't. And so um, they are also evolving. So it's very it's very interesting to get the answers from folks who are like on the forefront. Prior to your current role, you, you, you've done some things before. Uh, for context, what have you done and what has been a scenic route to where you are today? Yeah, so I started out in, um, I actually started out in the UK, and if there are any, any UK lawyers uh, present, I started out as a barrister, um, made the, made the um, 
decision pretty quickly to to move into a commercial um, solicitors firm in London. I think it was far more what I was expecting from law. Um, and I did several years in in some uh, very, very uh, well-established law firms in London and, and in the middle of England. And then a few years after I'd been practicing, I got the opportunity to do a client secondment. Um, and I have to say, my time in law firms was more grit than, than enjoyment. Uh, and the moment I got into the, into the secondment um, with a, a large, pretty well-known consulting firm, I just had a blast. Um, that was such, a, it was a great team, phenomenal organization, doing some amazing deals. And so I found in-house and I've never looked back. Um, and then a few years after I've been there, I had the opportunity to go and do uh, a regional general counsel role overseas in Asia. Uh, and it was a good time for me personally and professionally. So I, I moved to Australia and I worked across the Asia PAC region predominantly, um, taking care of the Asian uh, region of a silicon based um, large technology company. And that, that was just fantastic. I got to see uh, not just professionally deal in lots and lots and lots of different jurisdictions, but I got to see parts of the world I probably wouldn't otherwise have visited and became really um, experienced in cross-cultural working and cross-cultural teams and actually remote working before it was even as cool as it is now. Um, and then a few years later, I moved to Dubai, uh, which is, uh, again, for another in-house role covering the region. Um, but that was where I met my husband, who is an American. And so while my professional life was going in one direction, I was also um, finding real joy in my private life. And then um, a few years later, after we got married and had our children, we we came home to the United States Um and that would that that's how you find me here today. So yes, pretty well traveled. I have the funny accent that all my friends over here think is wonderful. Apparently, I can be extremely angry, and people think I sound cute. So that, that, that can be useful in negotiations. <laughs> that, that, that does not happen with a Russian accent. When I'm angry, people think I'm really angry. <laughs> I think it's a very very distinct thing about British accents. I still don't really understand it, but. Um, yeah, it's it's very entertaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a conversation about accents. Yeah. I, I definitely have deep thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that wonderful career. I, I was just kind of trying to keep track of all the things you've done. Whoa, that was a lot of cool things. <laughs> um, so um, let's talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. um, important issue. Um, just how big of an issue do you, you know, there's a lot of talk and we talk, you know, sometimes things are just talks and sometimes the size of a talk corresponds to the size of the issue. Sometimes it doesn't like how big of an issue you think it is. So I think like many of these topics, it's probably far more prevalent and far bigger of an issue than we ever wanted to acknowledge um, or talk about. I think particularly in the legal profession, you know, if I'm honest um, and reflect back on my career, um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the time I was surrounded um, with many people who were struggling. And I think mental health, again, it's a very broad title that covers all sorts of things from very, very clearly defined and diagnosed psychiatric illness through to conditions that 
um, maybe aren't as formally recognized and can go on um, for years and years of somebody's life, or maybe it's just a period, a period that they're struggling with. And it, and of course, we know that the term depression has um, such a wide, broad meaning. Um, everything you know, from from those of us who struggle with perhaps postpartum issues after we'd had children, to people who struggle really, really with um, deep rooted and deep seated issues from trauma sustained in their childhood, and they they struggle with it for many, many years, if not their entire life. So you know, I I I always become nervous when something becomes too trendy because I think it, then suddenly everyone is saying, oh, I have this and I have that. And it's hard then to, I feel it kind of takes away from the realities that for many people, it's it's not a trendy thing. It's a, it's a deeply painful subject and it's a deeply difficult reality of their life. But I do think it um, in recent times has become um, okay to say it out loud. And I think that's a good thing for many of us. Why, why, why do you think that it's sometimes such a hard issue to talk about um, what makes it a difficult issue, given how you know, many folks, in fact, everyone I talk to think that it's very prevalent um, and you encounter it mm -hmm. daily. So if it's normal, why is it so hard to talk about things that are common and normal? Um. So I think that's a huge question with lots of answers, but but the way I the way I would answer it is, you know, if someone breaks a leg or they're diagnosed with cancer, you can, you know, people can understand when there's something wrong with a part of your body and they can have a lot of empathy. They see what you go through. Um, I think that this I think with mental illness it's actually the fact that it's so broad and undefined and it's scary. It's you know, it's associated in history with crazy behavior, with psychotic outbursts, with people being very unstable all of the time. And I think there's a lot of myth and fear and negative stereotypes about people who struggle with mental illness and this assumption that, you know, if you think about the corporate world and particularly the corporate legal world, we, you know, our minds are supposed to work at 250% accuracy all the time and we're supposed to be intelligent and brilliant. And for many people, I think that just doesn't fit with an image um, or a reality of somebody whose brain may not function 100% correctly all of the time. And so, you know, how can you be a good attorney? How can you be a good professional if there's something else that's not functioning so well in your mind or in your brain? Um, so I think I think a lot of it is just ignorance, to be perfectly honest. That would be how I categorize it. And of course, you know, there are occasionally terrible things that happen that mentally ill people do um, but that's that's incredibly rare in comparison to the fact that most people at some point in their life are going to have a period where they're struggling why why and how did you come to sort of mental health issues as something you care about and and aware of okay yeah so i am um, i was a sufferer for for many 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 years um i didn't always realize it. I wasn't aware just to the extent to which um, I was struggling. And for me, I had a lot of trauma in my childhood. 
um, a lot of very difficult things that then happened in my early adulthood that sort of compounded on that. And I struggled for years with periods of depression, um, some addictive behaviors, um, all very private um, and privately held, but, but it was there for a long time. And um, in recent years, I was fortunate finally to get help from a really great um, medical professional who diagnosed me with what's called complex PTSD. And finally, it was like, oh, wow, this makes sense. Now I know what it is that I'm wrestling with, and now we can actually attack it and address it, and I can find better coping mechanisms and um, and perhaps even healing for this whole thing. Um, so, so that's why I care about it, because I went through it, and I know how incredibly um, – how incredibly hard it was to to keep going at times. Um, and it didn't stop me having a successful career. It didn't stop me excelling in many areas of my life, but it was a very painful and lonely journey on the outside. And for me, you know, it just, um, it caused me to think and pause at many times and say, I know I'm not the only person going through this. And somebody has to speak up and say, hey, this is what's going on with me. If it's going on with you too, you're not alone. And by the way, there's some hope because I've been able to move way past this now. Um, and my hope and prayer is that other people are able to do the same. How are you doing today? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I, I'm actually um, doing phenomenally well. Um, it's a long story, but uh, after periods of um, significant treatment in over quite a few recent years, I actually got to a place where I, I, I feel and believe I've been completely healed. Um, and that was not easy. Um, and some of that, um, uh, but I've been walking out now for quite a few months and and the old symptoms are gone. The old triggers are gone. Um, it's it's actually been a pretty cool um, way as I approach my middle years, my middle age years, to to realize that I may never have to worry about this again. Um, so I feel incredibly fortunate. Well, I love that, and it's really good to hear. At what point did you realize, and and how did you get sort of professional help? And, uh, you know, because I think for many people, and I've talked now to folks, you know, um, you know, there's various things from PTSD to anxiety to all kinds of things. Um, this, this, this realization that, you know, you may have a medical condition and you are not equipped to do engage in self-help. Um, how did you get there? And then uh, were there people or supportive um, you know, family members, friends, employer who helped you on the way. Yeah. So I think for me, there were lots of different resources. So I'm a pretty reflective person. I'm a person of faith. I'm pretty reflective. I read a lot. And I started to put the pieces together at, at different points in my life. Um, and when things, if I had a bad episode, and from time to time, I would have a really bad episode, usually around major events in my life. Then I would sit down, I would go and, and find somebody to talk to, a professional help to someone that, you know, I could talk issues through. The real crux for me came in 2017, so just actually after we'd founded um, Valiant. And I had been under a lot of stress for probably about five or six years. I'd been in an incredibly stressful 
job, which I'd thoroughly enjoyed and done a lot of incredible things and worked with incredible people, but it was, it was very stressful. Um, I didn't get much sleep, you know, wellness went out the door in that time. I'd had two children, we'd moved countries. Um, and I, I think it was just a steady drip, drip, drip of stress and pressure and not taking good care of myself. And I had a huge crash in towards the end of 2017. I just, I just realized that beyond literally getting up and functioning in my day job, um, I was coming home and just, just crying and, and not being able to sleep. And so that just realizing with people around me saying, Hey, are you doing okay? Um, uh, I realized I wasn't. And it was actually when I went for a routine wellness check with my doctor that I, I confessed everything to how I was feeling. And she got me, she got me to the, the help that I needed. Okay. Um, you've said a lot of things and, and thank you for sharing that story. Um, I think it's important for people to kind of hear the story and understand the circumstances. And I love how you sort of said, look, there's this sort of a steady drip of stress. You know, any one of those events, you know, I've, I've had two kids. That was stressful. <laughs> that is still stressful. Um, and, you know, uh, thank God they went to school. Oh, my God, they went to school. Um, right. It's so good to have them back in school. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then changing countries. I've, I've gone through that. That is really stressful. And then, you know, new company um, and new early stage company. <laughs> that is stressful. Um, all of that together, steady drip by drip with various things in the background. Definitely add up and um and thank you for painting that picture um and and showing the accumulation and and different causes of 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 you know um of the sort of what ended up being a medical condition um but i thought what was really interesting and you said it a couple of times you know all of this happening in the background steady drips of stress you kind of reacting to it because of various things that happened to you in the past, yet you had a successful career. And I yeah. think this is where people, this is where for some people, where the disconnect of logical mind happens, you know, especially when you are a lawyer. Um, how can I be so successful in my whatever day job yet have these issues, right? I think that's a lot of time that's a barrier. So I'm going to ask you how... You know, with this accumulated drip by drip stress and crying and, and, and having medical condition, you actually have had, you know, a successful career across continents, building early stage company and, and, and being really good at it. Um, how, how can all of that coexist with a medical condition and one can have a, a, a successful career? So, um, Again, complicated question and, and, and not necessarily the same answer for everybody. For me, my work became my refuge. I think actually what happened was I, I was super conscious that um, 
parts of my life might have felt out of control, but I could really focus on work and I could really focus on um, what I was actually doing. And and that became kind of my, um, I think there was almost a danger. It was, you know, I could have turned to drink, I could have turned to drugs, I could have done all sorts of things. So instead I turned to work and work became where I poured everything in. Um, and then I think there's also an aspect in which, you know, for a, for many of us who go through um, or struggle with mental illness in at times in our lives, we have very creative brains. Um, so some of what makes us really good at what we do is also um, on the flip side, some of what contributes to us being maybe a little more vulnerable. So, um, you know, that energy, that creativity, that, that always thinking and always reflecting and what can I do and what can I do, that can be really, really um, powerful at work, but it can also become um, really unhelpful when you're trying to deal with um, difficulties in your life and maybe overthinking and over-worrying and over-anxiety. Um, so for me, it was just sheer grit. It was, I, I may be struggling on the inside, but nobody is going to see it on the outside. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to do the very, very best I can to be the very best uh, attorney and, and business person that I can. Um, and that became a shield. Uh, so I was able to get a lot done. I was able to accomplish a great, great deal. Um, uh, but obviously it, it hid the inside. Thank you for sharing that and showing how one you can have uh, mental issues and have successful careers. Also, not mutually exclusive things. Yeah. Um, sometimes we logically think they are, but but that that actually can exist and often does exist together quite well. And work can be an outlet, um, but it can also be sort of something that perpetuates the issue. I think most people, you know, encounter mental health issues at work. Frankly, we are not usually very equipped to either help ourselves or help others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I want to sort of switch gears. Um, mm-hmm. Because I do think that most people encounter this in their daily life at work more often than anywhere else because we spend so much time at work. Um Especially during pandemic, we have seen employers actually focus on the issue of mental wellness and mental mental health. Um, I guess my, I'm curious, kind of, what are your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on employer focus on that? Because you know it is on the intersection of privacy, employment law, personal well-being, black swan events of COVID. Um, what are your thoughts about the role of employer in the kind of mental health issues, especially because majority of us touch this issue every day at work. I think anything that gets employers recognizing that this is a real issue that they need to be aware of and have processes and programs to support their associates, anything that causes that to happen is a really good idea. Um, And I think COVID obviously is a, the COVID pandemic has been such a catalyst for people actually realizing that this is something we need to think about. Um, here's the reality, you know, any organization that is that employs or works with human beings, you need to address this issue. You need to think about it because human beings are complex. We're not just physical beings that show up and, and do physically what we're required to do. We're, we're complex. We're, we're made up of emotions and soul and spirit and all these things that can become 
equally um, unbalanced from time to time. And so I think, um, you know, there's so much that employers can do. And the first thing they can do is just to remove the taboo. I think a huge part of what was um, what became really helpful for me was being able to say it out loud. This is what I'm struggling with. And today isn't a great day. So when I'm in a meeting and I'm concentrating and trying to give my very best for other people to be aware of that was actually helpful. Um, and maybe, you know, just there are times when, you know, we, we could argue about something. Maybe we find a different way to resolve our differences on the topic and, and, and get more creative that way. Um, I also think that, you know, associate organizations that and that are able to see and uh, create a culture and environment where associates, employees are able to ask each other, hey, are you doing okay? How are you doing today? Just actually um, infusing the culture with this sense of response, uh, shared responsibility and community and camaraderie, that goes a long way, and particularly for employees who maybe live alone or are remote, you know, to have somebody reach out to them just because they care, that can be the difference, that can save a life. Um, so I think employers often feel if they're going to do something, it has to be big and it has to be expensive and maybe they don't have the appetite for that. Really, some of the most simple things that can be done is to acknowledge the issue and acknowledge that it's real and acknowledge that many of their employees at some point in their life will face this issue and then making it okay to talk about it and making it okay to care. And obviously having some policies and programs around the edges that if things get really bad for a time, you can maybe take some time off or there's an employee assistance program you can reach out to and get connected with a professional. But for me, it's, it's removing the taboo and creating a sense of a culture and a sense of camaraderie that really makes the difference. I love those specific steps. Those are great <laughs> steps. Um, thank you for sharing them. Um, and I love how you focused on things we can do every day and then policies support that, but that we're not leading with policies. Yeah. Policies are there to support that. that. That's a very critical thing, especially you know, as, as lawyers, you know, we're trying to write policies. And sometimes there is a tendency when you are hammer, everything looks like a nail, but uh, there is sort of an underlying social issue. Um, and yes, it can have an impact of saving life, improving quality of mind at work, where we spend so much time. Um, you know, if not at work, then where? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think how much time we spend at work. And it's crazy that often, you know, your colleagues as well. And many of us make some of our best friends at work. And so clearly there's, it's not so easy and to compartmentalize what we're going through. And, and if you're going to seek help and, and need help on a day-to-day -day basis or from time to time, it's probably going to be your colleagues that are, that are helping you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing how much information we know about our colleagues. Yeah. We know they're going through a personal struggle. We know they go through the health issue. We know if they go through financial issues, we, go, we know what happens to their kids. You know, uh, we, of course, we care about them. And, and of course, we're impacted through whatever they are going through. If they have a death in the family, if they have a marriage in the family, if they have a child in the family, we all collectively will feel that if they have mental health issue. Yes, you bet the entire organization will feel it. Everyone will yeah. feel it, whether they're affected or they feel they feel they would like to help or whatever. They will feel the impact of the issues every single person on the, on the team goes through. 
Um, and I think that brings me, I guess, to some of my last questions. Um, why should an employer care? Um, and kind of what is the impact and uh, how they should think through this issue about their role kind of at a high level? It's, it's that old phrase about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So many, many of us, and, and you know, I'm no different. I mean, we have 5,000 associates and I, I talk to many of them and they know that they can talk to me about anything because I've made it very clear that I'm here for folks. And it's amazing how many people who reach out and say, thank you for being honest about your struggles. I'm suffering. I'm struggling today too. Um, it's incredible because those people are some of our absolute best people. They really are. And I imagine the world where we were just so afraid of them. We, we wanted them gone. And I think, well, we wouldn't be the business that we are today. We wouldn't be as successful as we are or able to manage that program as well as we do if we just um, mindlessly eradicated people who were struggling with, with mental health issues. We would be a very empty organization. And then I also think about the, the times we've been brainstorming and trying to solve new challenges and think really creatively, what could we do in this situation that's different? Again, often it's people that I know because they talk to me, um, uh, have had issues or, or struggle from time to time. Often those are some of our most creative thinkers. And again, I imagine the world where we just eradicated all the creative thinking because those people, we knew those people suddenly we became aware that they maybe struggled from time to time. It's crazy talk. Um, and then the reality is anybody, anytime can have, can find it all gets too much. Um, and, you know, are we going to seriously remove people from their positions just because they're having a bad time in their life? I mean, obviously we need to make sure people are able to function and do what we're paying them to do and that, that they're, not a danger to themselves or anybody else in that moment. But beyond that, we should be we should be embracing who they are and encouraging people to give of their very best and supporting them. Otherwise, we're going to come down to a very limited number of people that can work. If any, if any, <laughs> if, any. Uh, if any, because that happens. It's it happens to everyone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as to some people, maybe more often than other, depending what they've gone through and where they are in life. Uh, but you're right. Um, you know, as we talked about success and creativity can very well coexist, uh, with mental health struggles. So it will be a very cold, uninteresting, non-creative, unsuccessful world if we have voted off the island, everyone with who, struggles with mental health, uh, the far more pragmatic and the right thing to do is to support those uh, folks and ourselves as we go through life and, and face life um, with different success at different times. Emma, this has been a very enlightening conversation and I really like um, the kind of the, the honesty and, um, and, and you sharing the story and, and how you sort of face it every day, both as a leader and as a person um, and, and very, um, grateful for this conversation um as parting words for the for the audience for the listeners um what is one or two or three things you would love them to keep in mind as they go through their professional lives and having successful careers and perhaps have to deal with mental health issues um, so one of um so I think the first and foremost is there are probably people um even listening who who are now thinking aha maybe this is something that 
applies to me. And I, I think what I want people to know is it, it may do. Um, and don't be ashamed of it. And don't be don't be alone in that journey. Reach out, talk to people, connect with someone that can help you share your story and get the help that you need um, to recover because that is the most important thing. And for folks for whom it's maybe not true of them, you know, just be aware that quite often you can't tell from the outside of someone. You can't look at someone's career or look at how they're doing um, and necessarily know that under the surface they are struggling and going through really tough times, maybe even things they haven't talked about yet. So just increasing that awareness and sensitivity for others, I think that's something we can all do. Um, and just just being mindful that, you know, um, our colleagues, our friends and in our families um, all may not be as it seems. Um, and then I think also, I, mean, I guess the last thought is that for those of us who are in leadership positions um, or have businesses or organizations that we are responsible for, you know, it does fall to us to be. Um, to think, you know, it, it's not just having another Zoom call where we talk about mental health or um, another leadership article written about it. What are we actually going to do in our organizations to remove the taboo and give people the support systems they need so they can be successful as people and they can be ex highly successful in what we're asking them to do at work? At the end of the day, if we... Um, I think you know, the, the lesson of my life, lesson of my career is I had to take the pressure off myself to be anything other than who I was created to be. And once I did that and once I accepted that, I actually removed a lot of the stress and pressure that was causing the issues in the first place. And so I think as leaders and, and, and organizations and, and businesses, if we can allow people the space to be who they are, um, obviously within some boundaries, um, that allow people to be truly who they are at work, you remove a lot of the stress that causes people to have um, issues unnecessarily. Very important conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and thank you for you know being honest about your journey, both as a person and as a leader, and, and things we can do to educate ourselves, build more sustainable organizations. And the fact that we, you know, could be successful while still struggling. I think that's a very important message. Uh, that should not stop you from being diagnosed. That should also not um, stop you from from pursuing your career. Um, if anything, um, you know, given how much we spend at work, it should help you to seek answers for yourself and folks around you. Um, and definitely, if you are you know, at the point uh, where you know you're realizing that you know you have the episodes regularly enough and they're long enough, you may not be equipped to be self-helping yourself and seeking professional help. Thank you so much for joining. Bye, everyone.